We've finally made it to Easter. Uh, for those of you who celebrate Lent, who, who do the 40 days of preparation, the wilderness journey is finally over. For the disciples, I'm sure Friday, Saturday, were incredibly long. But when Sunday morning happens, not everybody knows what's going on. We, we come into churches saying, he is risen, he's risen indeed, and we come celebrating, and we know that the original Easter wasn't as quick to finally understand what's happening here, what's going on. They are going through a lot of confusion on their way to clarity. Uh, who are these people dressed in dazzling clothes? And what on earth does that mean? What kind of dazzling clothes were they wearing? Where's Jesus' body? Who would take it? What's going on? And so I would imagine that just like in our own day where there's tons of opinions, tons of perspectives, they would have been going through the same kinds of dilemmas as us. Now, uh, I, don't, I don't know too many people who just love the current state of news in the world today. I think almost everybody has their own gripes in one form or the other. Um, but it's, it's impossible that you make a headline, you decide what's important. It's based on what you value. And your headline's going to be different than somebody else's headline. And so last night I thought, well, let's do the thought experiment again. And I just searched a bunch of news sites and saw what's the front cover of each of these sources. Because each one has a different value, a different viewpoint that it brings to the table. So here's some examples from last night. Um, a lot of sites like CNN, the New York Times, Washington Post had various headlines about Russia invading the Ukraine. Get why that's on people's minds as war uh, goes on on the world and all the ways that it affects all of us. The Huffington Post's front page was about a mall shooting in South Carolina. At least 10 people were shot, and thankfully at least last night nobody was, was killed, but uh, maybe there's been an update since then. But it was about gun violence. M Live here in Michigan was about protests in Grand Rapids in response to the police shooting of Patrick Lyoya, Lyoya, um, a 26-year-old black man shot in the back of the head after um, trying to flee. Uh, I don't know. He wasn't really in custody yet, but uh, he ended up on the ground and was shot in the back of the head. And the footage made it out yesterday, and protests have begun. NPR sidestep here. Archaeologists discovered historical artifacts during Notre Dame's cathedral restoration. Front page. CNBC was worried about Elon Musk and Twitter. CBS News was talking about the president and vice president's family tax returns that they publicly revealed. Fox News was talking about Hillary Clinton. Uh, Newsmax and so on talking about border immigration. All of those things are a reflection of what values, what matters to the people who write the stories, right? And each of you have your own headlines that you bring. And we like to criticize news sources because, man, it seems like they always have depressing news. Where's the good things, right? Why is it always death and theft and, and everything sad? We just want some good news. And maybe if, you're, if you like YouTube, you caught early in the pandemic, John Krasinski, famous for The Office and some other things, he did a, a YouTube channel called Some Good News. And it was just feel-good stories from around the world in the midst of the pandemic when everything felt so gloomy. And it was really uplifting. And then he sold it to a major news outlet. And people were like, oh, we can't have anything good. <laughs> Even the good news got sent away. And so 
we can't help that all of us, we, we long for there to be good news, and yet we can't help ourselves. We always share about a lot of sad news. Uh, we have the pessimist perspective. We, have, uh, we can't help but think about the grave things in our lives. And so what is it to talk about good news on a week where we have a good Friday, we celebrate Jesus is risen, but for a lot of us, we don't live our lives where we're exuding good news. We feel like we're hurricanes of bad news that we're all just caught up in. And so what is it to proclaim good news? The word gospel, if you like the churchy words for things, gospel comes from the Greek euangelion, which we get into evangelism, uh, evangelical, those kinds of terms come from this word, which meant good news. And it was the word that they would use about the Roman announcement. Someone comes into town and says, hey, good news, we were victorious in battle. Because that's what was good news. We, we destroyed those barbarians. They're gone. Good news, civilization continues, survives another day. Our territories have expanded. And so when Christians took on this good news language about their Messiah, a story about someone who gets crucified, it would have been very strange news in that time. And so I think it's worth us sitting with, what is the news around Jesus? What's the news around his death, his, this Easter Sunday? And if you were with us for the breakfast, uh, I had some fun creative uh, outlets for the week, uh, made some front page headlines as if uh, Christians or Romans or the zealots, kind of the secular nationalists in Israel, or maybe the religious establishment, if they had front headlines on that original Easter Sunday, what on earth would they say is going on? And it was a lot of fun kind of crafting the imagination of what they would be talking about. But in Rome, their headlines would revolve around the fact that they want to create peace through victory. They create peace by maintaining the status quo of being the ones in control. And they bring civilization to the world. They feel very good about it. Never mind if they took a lot of it from their cousins in Greece. But they feel really good about their knowledge, their experience. And so they want the whole world to get their version of the story. And so if you threaten the Roman government, if you threaten civilization, good life, you are a rebel and you will be put down. And so the story of Jesus is, wait, what is this king of the Jews? If you notice, if you think about the story and you read through the scripture, the religious leaders, they fight with Jesus about other things. And then when they show up to Pontius Pilate, they say, he says he's the king of the Jews. Uh, that's a no-no. Who gets to choose who's in charge? Rome does. How dare you threaten our power? And so rebels are treated as cautionary tales. You don't just get rid of the rebel. You brutally kill them. You take off their clothes. You embarrass them. You shame them. You put them out on the public street corner so that anybody who has an idea of ever rebelling knows you don't mess with Rome. And so their story is we took care of the problem. For the religious establishment, the temple headlines are a little bit different. You know, they think that they've managed a disruption. Jesus is really disruptive. 
especially to the temple. That was one of my favorite little headlines if you read through the story about the temple uh, restoration project. Uh, there's some people in there that I, I had upset about the waiting times at the temple when Jesus decided to overthrow some, some money collectors and, and disrupted. I know the way that it's right with God. I have to make this level of sacrifice. I do this ritual and I got to maintain my relationship. And from the temple's perspective, as long as Rome's not invading us too much, as long as they give us our own little bits of power, the way I overthrow the world is I just stay faithful to God long enough that God eventually comes and wipes everybody else out. I'll let God create the apocalyptic war, and I don't have to do it. So when I see people who might cause a stir and might get Rome to come down on us, we have to stomp them out first. Because I don't want Rome coming in and messing things up here. And they're going to go through that around 70 AD. There's a revolt around 130. There's another revolt where people have had enough of Rome and they, they decide to bring up, they try to rebel and then Rome just stomps them out. They got more swords, more weapons. So the temple establishment, they just see Jesus as a disruption. And he's disruptive to the religious life because he's not following all the same kind of practices. He kind of has a different perspective. And like, who is he? Who taught this guy? He doesn't have the right credentials. And so they're frustrated by Jesus. And so their charges against him are not as much rebel rebellions. It's he's kind of heretical, right? He can't speak for God. And the biggest heresy, blasphemy. You've said something incorrect about God and who you are. And so their headline is they've they've dealt with this disrupt, disruptive force. Now the zealots are more interesting to me because they are uh, somewhat religious, but it's all kind of in line of their nationalism. Uh, you think about there's a lot of nationalist conversation going on in our own times. But there are people that says, let's kick Rome out of here. Let's do whatever it takes. We will assassinate someone. We will uh, create freedom fighter tactics. Uh, we will do whatever it takes to get Rome out of here. And so the zealots uh, would start rebellions. And so the Jesus movement is looking like this is a group, maybe they're going to overthrow Rome, but there's something really weird about this Jesus group. How on earth do they think love is going to overthrow the, the governments of this world? It feels like a really weird strategy to conquer Rome, to change the world just through love. Don't they know that's not enough weapons you're going to need? You're going to need more fighters. How is love ever going to do anything? And I kind of wonder if people looked at some of the Jesus followers and thought a little bit maybe of what people thought for, for the 1960s with some of the hippie movement and stuff of like, well, why are they talking about so much love? Like, how is love going to stop conflicts in Vietnam or civil rights issues or stuff? They're like, they keep talking about all this love stuff. What, what on earth is going on? And so the zealots just kind of disregard Jesus' movements. Who are these people? And so, of course, for them, Jesus' movement is going to fail. It ends on a cross. Why? Because Rome didn't care at all that you loved them. They'll still crucify you. And so the disciples are left wondering, well, what on earth do we do now? Because everybody else's message is we've been wrong and we don't have the right way to, to change the world, that God's not with us. And our teacher... Our leader, our friend is dead. What on earth do we do now? Do we continue in this way of life? 
Do I go back to Galilee? Do I go back to fishing? Like, what's next for me? And so what happens is, is that nobody had categories for understanding what God's story and God's headlines were in this moment. Everyone's got their own boxes. Rome fits theirs in, the temple fits theirs in, zealots fit theirs in. Christians are a little bit murky. They don't quite know what's our category yet. But God does something unexpected. One of the only ways I know how to kind of get us into this mindset is to think, we can go back to the 60s again. If you want to think about the civil rights movement, for African Americans looking for equality in the country, there was a lot of conversation about the right methods, the right ways to do that. And so when Martin Luther King Jr. came into prominence, trying to give a dream in which people were hand in hand, not where you overthrew your oppressors and became new oppressors, not where you used violence, like the kind of violence of dogs or fire hoses, but to actually imagine a world where people could be loving to one another, and that that was what was disruptive to the world. That maybe there might be a way of love that changes things and doesn't need violence. And so when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, there was a lot of question of, does that method work? Will we ever be accepted? Do we have to use violence? Is it just a violent world? And for those early Christians, when you've seen Jesus crucified, you have to imagine some of them were wondering that. Maybe this way isn't actually how God's going to change the world. Maybe it is through force. Maybe it is about how many swords you have, how many tanks you have, how many guns, how many nukes. Maybe it's all about power. But in that moment, the resurrection is meant to shatter every imagination. It's meant to de-weaponize every threat. Because if you can imagine, if the threat of Rome and the threat of anyone who has power is, I'm going to hurt you and silence you and end you, when you are told, you can't actually end me, that's the most revolutionary act God can do, is say, you wanted to hurt me, and instead, I'm coming back, but not like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I'll be back to hurt you. I'll be back, and I'm still going to love you. You're not getting out of it this easily. As much as you push, as much as you crucify, as much as you throw stones, I still love you. And when you see Jesus risen, you don't see someone who's ready to go to battle because the disciples are still wondering, hey, uh, when's the kingdom happening? You get Jesus here to love and say, see my wounds? Not let's go make some new wounds, but let's start healing. You can stare, you can touch. Come here. I love you no matter whether you doubt, no matter whether you deny me, no matter whether you crucify me. That the message of good news is that no matter what we do, no matter how harsh we are, no matter how much we mess things up, Christ rises with wounds and all and has no bitterness towards you. No hate, no anxiety, no fear, but the calm presence of love. And for many of us, that's the story that is so simple and yet so hard to actually believe. 
because our own anxieties, the, the headlines we make for our lives is, I know that God is loving, I know God's good, I know God's peaceful, but aren't those people so scary? And we get anxious, so we start acting out of that fear, out of that anxiety, and we just keep perpetuating the same cycles of violence and problems. But God was telling a different kind of story. There's an enduring love at work in God and in Jesus that can change your life, our lives, the whole world. That's a kind of power that we should long for. Not the simple, easy, brutality power that doesn't actually last, but one that brings faithfulness and love. And so Jesus empowers his disciples to go out and tell that story. When you think about some of the later stories in Acts, they're going to start preaching. Like Peter especially, they'll be like, hey, you know, you crucified Jesus. <laughs> that kind of seems like a, a weird line into a conversation. But they weren't trying to start a riot to harm the people that had harmed them. They were a people so moved by the resurrection that they actually thought, you thought you were our enemy, but we're still going to love you. We're still going to try to talk to you about it. There's still an opportunity to change your mind. You can still believe in Jesus now, even if you've hurt him in your past. And so for us, we have to answer, what is the Easter story for us in our headlines? Is it just a history lesson for some of us? It's something that happened in the past. We like to talk about it. But it really has nothing to do with my everyday life. It has nothing to do with this moment. It has nothing to do with the way I'm going to go forward. It's just something that it's nice to remember. But it's robbed of any sort of the hope of how Easter might continue to bring life, continue to bring change and love. For some people, maybe it's not a history lesson. Maybe it sounds too much like a fairy tale. It sounds too good to be true. It's like, yeah... I, w I wish the world was that way, but I've just never seen it actually look that way. And so you, you lose hope that maybe, just maybe, enduring love might actually change your life and the world around you. But for some of us, maybe this story might be inspiring. I love that word, inspire. It gives breath to, right? For some of us that need that breath of fresh air, that we need that... <sighs> life. Maybe this story in the midst of despair, in the midst of all the bad headlines, some of the ones that we just keep saying ourselves, maybe the Easter story today might be a breath of fresh air. Maybe it might be a motivator. Gives you that engine, it gives you the power, it gives you that strength to go forward and do something. For so many of us, we live these kind of nationalist things. We live all these big perspectives in our own family units, in our own work units. Maybe you're uh, someone who, maybe you have a, a parent that's uh, more of a tyrant parent model. Maybe you know someone, maybe you are that. Where it's like, I lead, I get it my way. We are doing it this way. And I don't want the feedback or opinions. I just, this is the way we're doing it. Maybe you had another parent who was like, whatever you need there. They're not into the power play, but they're just along for the ride. They're just um, accommodating more than peacemaker. 
And then maybe you've experienced the rebellious child who realized that there's some childhood terrorism tactics. Wait, you can't actually hurt me. I can report you. Wait, what, what can you actually do? You have to feed me, you know? And where they decide to push and push and push. And you get in the midst of a family system where everybody can't coexist and live healthy. And in the midst of that, what is it for a parent? What is it for a child? What is it for a friend? What is it for someone to bring in an enduring love that loves everybody, that endures pain, that says no matter how hard the situation looks, no matter how bleak the outlook looks, I know a God who opens up the grave. And I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to go with God and love, and I'm going to just be faithful. And I know that I might end on a cross. Sometimes I feel like we don't like remembering that part of the Easter story. Jesus said, hey, take up your cross and follow me. Some of us, I'm glad Jesus got on a cross, but I don't have to get on one, right? But what is it to say, Christ's kind of love will be the, my kind of love, and I'm going to go into this world, I'm going to change this world through following him. I'm going to let Christ be at work in my life. It might not always end pretty for a moment. But there might be a, a dark Saturday. But there will be a day in which God vindicates that love and vindicates life in the face of death. And so I hope that encourages you or inspires you that whatever you feel too afraid to follow God faithfully into, whatever you feel too afraid to continue to love in the face of, of what looks like dire circumstances, I pray that you might have the courage to follow Christ into Easter weekend. And even when you fail at it, even when you run away from God, know that the headline of the story is still that God loves you. And God keeps loving you, keeps showing up. Even when you thought you got rid of him, thought if I stopped praying, maybe he'd leave me alone. God shows up and offers you his scars and says, I still love you. May that bring us hope. And that is truly good news. So let us commit to that today. Let's commit to good news, to being about it, to not living in fear, to not letting our anxieties make our decisions and motivate our headlines. Let us, like, let us make God's good news create a trust in us where we can live new. Let us commit to living out that good news. Let Easter not just be this morning, but it be, be wherever you are the rest of the day, tomorrow morning, at work, at school, at your friend's house. Let Easter morning continue to be good news wherever you go. Let you live that out. Cling to the cross, cling to the resurrected Jesus who brings life in the face of despair. So would you pray with me? Lord God, we come before you Lord, I know that for some of us, uh, we have been distracted by the difficult things, the painful things in this world. 
And Lord, I know that you see those things. You heard the cries of the people in Egypt and slavery. But Lord, let us not dwell on those things, but dwell on how you bring life wherever there is despair. Lord, help us to be makers of peace. Help us to be heralds of your good news. If it's not just with our words, let our our lives, our spirits, ring out, echo through our lives a celebration of who you are. Lord, just let our lives be transformed by your love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.